All right, well, how's everybody doing this evening? Well, it's good to, good to have you here. I can't see you, but you can see me, so that's, that's a very interesting experience. Hey, listen, my name is Eric. It's my privilege to be here with you this evening. Like Monica said a moment ago, this might be your first time here. Welcome to you if this is your first evening, uh, or if you've been here for a long time. It's great to have you here with us tonight, and uh, it's my prayer that yeah, God can touch you and bless you and encourage you this evening. The Holy Spirit's amazing, isn't he? The Holy Spirit's amazing the way he comes and he speaks to our hearts and our minds because God loves us so much and he wants to reveal himself to us. Amen to that? Yeah. All right. Well, listen, a bit more than a week ago when Monica asked me to speak on spiritual rhythms and particularly in relation to the Sabbath, I have to confess I just kind of inwardly groaned. All right? <laughs> that, that's the truth. And it's, it's because I've really only been seriously thinking about the Sabbath as a, as a rhythm for really just a few years. And so it's relatively new for me, and I very much am a learner on the journey. Uh, like you, I absolutely am not an expert, very much just along the way, uh, like the, the rest of us. All right? So uh, it's also because, you know, I'm, I'm a chronic to-do list person. I don't know if anybody here is like that, but uh, I very much... Um, try and fill my day and fill my week with as much as possible and just ask anybody who knows me, all right? Uh, one person's laughing over there. Uh, it's very true. And so, you know, when Monica asked me to speak on the Sabbath, uh, it was kind of like asking an alcoholic to speak on drink driving. Um, I was like, really, Monica? You, you really want me to do this? Uh, okay, all right, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. But um, like I said, I'm, it's on a huge learning curve for me. And uh, it's my prayer that uh, as I share tonight, that I'll receive just as much as you guys might receive, all right? Well, I have a question for you. When you hear the word Sabbath, what springs to mind? Sunday, all right. So when you hear the word Sabbath, what springs to mind? All right, you've got 60 seconds. Turn to your neighbor and just say, you know, what springs to mind when you hear the word Sabbath? Go. What springs to mind when you hear the word Sabbath? Uh, well, what I'm going to share with you tonight, a lot of it's been influenced by, um, I've been influenced by a man called Peter Scazzaro, and some of you may have heard of him. Um, Peter is a pastor of a church in New York City um, that uh, he and his wife started quite a number of years ago, and Peter wrote a book um, that I read, I read it in 2009, he wrote it in 2006, called The Emotionally Healthy Church, and then he rewrote that book for a, a larger audience. And that book was called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and it looks kind of like that if you haven't seen it. It has, a, has an iceberg on the front. Really great book. And Pete is an advocate of the spiritual rhythms that we're going to be talking about in this series uh, because he believes that for us in, in the Western church, Western church meaning kind of like the English-speaking world um, and even parts of Europe, that uh, we've kind of lost our way uh, in terms of some of the really important rhythms and patterns that Christians from other centuries have benefited from in terms of their walk with God. And so Pete Scazzaro is part of kind of that kind of revolution, really, that's happening amongst evangelical Christians um, like ourselves. And uh, that, as I read this book and have read it and reread it, it really truly has changed my life because it's an invitation to a different way of life. That's really what this book is about. It's an invitation to try and get our life of as much being with God 
as doing for God. Because many of us who've been around for a while in the Christian church, we have a lot of doing for God, and we have uh, a little bit of being with God, kind of the small circle over here. And that's part of my problem, that's part of your problem, it's part of our problem with the church in, in the West in particular. And so Pete advocates a different way of life. And I, I urge you to read the book, and we're going to talk about, uh, about that tonight. Well, Pete tells a story about a guy called Parker Palmer. He wrote a book called A Hidden Wholeness. And in this book, Parker Palmer talks about these farmers in the Midwest of the USA, where in the wintertime they face these Arctic blasts, kind of like the one we have tonight coming from the South Pole. But when you go up in the Northern Hemisphere, they come off the North Pole and just come right down the Great Plains of Canada and on into the USA. And he tells a story of how there are farmers in the Midwest that can just get caught in a blizzard. And when they step out the back door of their house, they can't see anything at all. And so what they do is that they tie a rope to their house. And it's, 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 got a, it's a long rope. They tie a rope to the house because sometimes they can't even, if they go like that, they can't see their hand anymore. Uh, the blizzard is that bad. And what can happen to that farmer is if they step out into their back garden area, they're walking to their barn, let's say, uh, they can get lost just like that. And within just a matter of, of moments, in fact, the, that farmer can literally freeze to death um, in, in attempting to get back to their house. And they might be just a few meters away from their house and they could freeze to death. And so they have this rope that they hold on to uh, as, they're, as they're walking towards their shed or their barn, and then they finish doing what they're doing, and then they turn around and they walk, hold on to that rope real tightly, because um, they desperately want to get where? They desperately want to get back home to their house, because their very life um, can, can depend on it. And in fact, by the way, our oldest daughter and her husband, they were living in Minnesota a few years ago, and they went to a place called Fargo, North Dakota, and my son-in-law tells me that when he was there, he actually experienced this, where he, you could stand there, he's all covered in everything possible to keep the heat in his body on, and he would just breathe out, he'd go like that, and he'd watch his breath freeze and boom, drop to the ground, um, because it was like 50 below zero Fahrenheit. Um, and with wind chill, it can get to like 70 below there. So that's what I mean, you, you can really take the snow seriously, and yet, um, you know, for us, we can lose our way. In fact, many of us have lost our way spiritually in, in the blizzard that is modern life. Because modern life urges us to say yes to so many things. To have this demand and that demand, this demand, that demand, work and family and friends and hobbies and sports and, and church for that matter and on and on and on. All these things that we fill our lives with and so that most of us, our lives uh, kind of fall somewhere between full and overflowing. Is that true or is, is that just me? Okay, between, somewhere between full and overflowing. And in fact, um, you know, we like to multitask. Maybe I'm the only one that does that. And um, we can even admire people that multitask. They can be our heroes. Like, wow, look at what he or she does. How much they accomplish in a day. And we tend to be overscheduled, overbusy, tense, addicted to hurry, preoccupied, frantic, fatigued, and starved for time. 
Our lives are so full that what do we do? We look forward to weekends where we have free time, right? And what do we do with the free time? Yeah, we fill it up um, with activities and from a big spectrum of activities. And, you know, we can listen to messages like this one tonight, or we can read books about slowing down in our workplaces. We have these seminars on how to increase productivity. That's happened for anybody. And those seminars will teach us kind of how to replenish ourselves in life so that we can be more productive at work, right? Yeah. And yet often we can't stop. Uh, and if we aren't busy, we feel guilty that we're wasting time and we're not being productive. And actually this busyness, it's an addiction. It really is. It's an addiction of our age in which we find ourselves. In fact, those of us here in the Bay of Plenty, we pride ourselves, oh, we're not like Aucklanders, right? Because that's what Auckland's like when you go there. Uh, everybody's just running around this giant rat race. And we think, oh, my life is much more relaxed here. It, is it really? Maybe it is. Um, but when, when you have all this busyness, and then you add to this kind of the storms and trials of life that come along unexpectedly, um, it can really catch us off guard. Is that true? Yeah. Because those storms and trials do come along. And suddenly, I realize, gosh, I've just been running out of pace. It's just far too fast, with far too much going on in my life. And what happens? Uh, my margins are very, very thin. And so is it any wonder that many of us, we feel disoriented or confused? And so what I want to do, I want to invite you guys to participate in an activity. So what I'd like you to do is get out of your chairs and just come into the center row, okay? And uh, this burly man here, Mr. Andrew Gold, I'd like you to grab that rope that's there and carry it down to that sound desk, could you please? The whole, well, just the end that's got the, the duct tape on it. There you go. So this will be a test, Mr. Gould. There you go. Just head straight that way. Look at that. Look at that burly man carrying that rope. All right, I'd like everybody to get out of your seat. I'd like you to find a place on that rope. You're going to have to squish next to each other. You can go right to the very back and come to the front. I want you to, to find a place on that rope. There you go. Find a place on the rope. All right, find a place on the rope. There you go. And you can stretch the rope along here if you need to, if you need more space. You can scoot along, scoot along. There you go. Yep, keep going. Keep going. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to have something on the screen. All right, look at this. Isn't this a great experience? This is so cool. Hey, we're going to have something on the screen. We have something on the screen. And you know what's on the screen? there's going to be a whiteout blizzard happening on the screen. And what I'd like you to do is you can either watch that and turn your imagination on, or you can close your eyes and imagine that you're in a blizzard and think about you're holding on to this rope. And remember, if you let go of this rope, you may not get back home. And I want you to feel that sense of desperation about that, about the fact that I've got to get back home, and the way it's going to happen is I hold on to this rope. Okay, so let's see if this is going to work. Here we go. So you can close your eyes, and you can enter in, or you can watch that video. And I want you to think of, as well about what's the blizzard of stuff going on in your life that your life is full of? Feel free to close your eyes and use that imagination.
that's that sense of desperation. You're holding on to the rope. And you're trying to pull it. Because you know your house is there somewhere, but you can't see it. You're desperate to get home. That's what it looks like. It's just white. You can get lost. You can freeze to death within just a matter of minutes sometimes. Make that car stuck okay. over there so we can go. Head back to your seats. You've all been very good sports. Look at this, Lindsay. Do we even know where we're going? <laughs> okay, someone up front here said, he said, I feel cold now. Sorry about that, Craig. I'm sure you can warm up as you head home. All right, now listen, folks, why did I do that? I do that because we all need a rope that we can hold on to that can bring us home. We need a rope that we can cling to that will bring us home. It'll bring us home when we face the, the blizzards of life that come because they do come. And for some people, they might be happening for you right now. And God offers us such a rope that can lead us back to him. It can lead us back to him into a place that's centered and rooted in him. You know, we need ropes, meta metaphoric ropes. We need anchors in our lives that can hold us, you know, during the hurricanes of demands that can come upon us. And a moment ago, I asked you to turn to your neighbor and say, when the word Sabbath comes to mind, what, what do you think? What's, what springs to mind? I wonder how many of us said this. It's about enjoying God. Did you say that to your neighbor? It's about enjoying God? Now, remember, we just finished a series on glorifying God, didn't we? And Monica reminded us about Article 1 of the Shorter Westminster Catechism, which says what? Article 1 of the Shorter Westminster Catechism. It says what? The chief end of man is to? It's all over on this side. I guess all the holy people over here. Okay, so the chief end of man is to glorify God and? Say it again. And to enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Okay. So Monica had us looking at that. And I want us tonight to think some thoughts about enjoying God as we think about this theme that we're launching into. Because we're going to take this brief look at this spiritual rhythm called Sabbath. And it's going to be a simple introduction, um, because I want to invite you to do some research of your own, because there's a lot of neat things to discover. But as I did my research, you know, in the NIV Bible, uh, the word Sabbath appears 164 times in uh, 145 verses. And where do you think it first appears in the Bible? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Where do you think it first, the word first appears in the Bible? In Genesis? Anywhere else? People are pretty nervous there, aren't they? Okay. Actually, it's in, it's in Exodus, believe it or not. It's in Exodus chapter 16, where Moses is talking to the people of Israel about the, the manna that would just appear, and they'd go and collect it on us on, in the morning. And he's talking to them about the manna. 
that it happens. In verse 23, uh, Moses says, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever's left and keep it until the morning. There you go. So the first appearance has, is in relation to manna, to God providing for his people. And then just a few verses later in verse 29, Moses says this about manna and the Sabbath. Quote, bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. Okay, so where's the next time, do you think, the Bible talks about Sabbath? People really are concerned now. Well, it's, it's, it's not far along in the Ten Commandments, right? In Exodus chapter 20, all right? And earlier this year, we were looking at these ten words or the Ten Commandments, and some of you might have been here for that. And uh, we looked at the Fourth Commandment, didn't we? Yeah, we, we had a look at it, this whole thing about remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And um, I thought what I would do is have a look at it in terms of this rhythm. So we had a good look at that previously when we were looking at the Ten Commandments as a series. But tonight it's about this idea of a rhythm. And I thought that since the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, you might want to see what, what uh, Sabbat looks like in Hebrew. Uh, with, with sin, um, bait, and tav. And remember, Hebrew originally did not have vowel points. So these little vowel points got added, like for our A, like the A-S-A-B-A -A -A and all that. Um, so basically, it's just kind of like a three-letter word uh, that uh, is sabbat. And uh, there in this, when we think of the Ten Commandments, and I'm, I'm sure somebody here could recite the Ten Commandments since we heard them over and over and over. But um, I won't ask you to do that. But you think about them. In Exodus chapter 20, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't make yourself an image or an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And then when it comes to the fourth commandment, this one about the Sabbath, it devotes three whole verses uh, to explaining about the Sabbath and how important it is. And then it goes on with honor your father and mother, you shall not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't covet your neighbor's house. The others are kind of relatively short and pithy statements, but when you look at the Sabbath, if you can look at it in the text, there's quite a bit of text that's given just specifically about the Sabbath. It's quite fascinating that it's like that. And by the way, what are the Ten Commandments about? They're about many things, but it was quite straightforward in the sense it had to do with God's character, where God said, I've called you people to be my people. I want you to reflect me as God. And I as God, um, I honor uh, my parents. You know, if I had parents, I would honor them, so you honor your parents. Uh, I don't murder, so you don't murder. I don't commit adultery, so you don't commit adultery. I don't steal, so you don't steal. I don't covet, so you don't covet. And that's one way of looking at the Ten Commandments. But, you know, when you come to the verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, where in verse 8 God says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Verse 9, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, any foreigner residing in your towns. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. I noticed that in verse 8, he used the word remember. I don't know if that struck 
you tonight, but if God says, remember the Sabbath day, what does that imply? He tells them to remember it. It means that it was there beforehand, all right? In other words, it was already part of their way of life because you see that from when you back up a few chapters in the one that I just read where Moses said to them, hey, remember, it's, it's going to be a Sabbath and you guys pick up this manna and so the next day you're not going to be doing any work. In verses 9 to 11, you note that the Sabbath was part of the creation before what? Before what happened? Before sin came into the world. Notice that Sabbath happened, that God rested from his work before sin came into the world. It's very important. And when, when Moses and when God speaks to Moses there in, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, you could say that by, by referencing Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, which is what is happening there in Exodus 20, this, the, the creation narrative that God rested from his work. He set aside that one day. You could say that uh, it's, it's an imago directive. In other words, it emanates out of God's image, his essence. In other words, God invites us to be like him. And part of being like him is to cease from our work one day a week. And we either take that seriously or we don't. But God invites us to be like him. And part of being like him is ceasing from work. Just like he ceased from work. But, you know, in our culture, that's a radical and foreign concept, isn't it? The idea of stopping for a whole day uh, just for the sake of enjoying God. You know, one time when I was, we were living in Oregon, I was working in information technology, and I had a boss guy of mine, friend of mine, um, he oversaw the, the Seattle office, and this guy just worked at a relentless pace. He would do 14-hour days. He would do 16-hour days. I remember when this guy, Steve, he was doing 18-hour days, and it was just crazy. I remember talking with him one time, saying, Steve, what are you doing? What are you doing? He was married, and he had two daughters, but he hardly ever saw his wife, hardly ever saw his girls. And I think part of why God had me in his life was just to try and help him slow down a little bit and think about what really matters um, in his life. Um, because it was, he, just had, he was addicted to work, like can be easy to do. And that's part of our culture, isn't it, everybody? That you can just relentlessly go all the time. Eugene Peterson, he was a Presbyterian pastor for 29 years. He authored more than 30 books. There's a book he's best known for. What's it called? Yeah, The Message. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. Some of us here like The Message, and we use it. Well, Eugene Peterson has a really key insight about the Sabbath. Uh, I hope it's going to be here. Let me see if I can get it up on the screen. Is it going to advance? There it is. The Sabbath is not primarily about us or how it benefits us. It's about God and how God forms us. I don't see any way out of it. If we're going to live appropriately in the creation, we must keep the Sabbath. Did you catch that? That last part? If we're going to live appropriately in the creation, we must keep the Sabbath. And so this word Sabbath, it means rest or to cease from our work. And the challenge that we have as Christians is a challenge that I had just a few years ago where I thought, oh, I could just, I can ignore the fourth commandment, which I quite happily did. 
right, for a very long time. Um, I didn't take it seriously. In fact, you know, in the book of Hebrews, uh, it says there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. Anybody ever heard that verse? Yeah, it's in Hebrews 4, uh, verse 1. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And then verses 9 to 11 of Hebrews 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. How does the Hebrews reading finish? Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So what does that mean? It means there's a special type of rest that God has for us as Christ followers that's unique. It's unique in its quality. It's divine because it originates in God. And the scriptures there invite us to enter into that kind of rest. Well, you know what I did for years? I just ignored that. Um, I always thought that uh, that was just something for somebody else. Or, or like a monk that lives in a monastery, right? <laughs> or some other very spiritual person. And, um, and through Pete Scazzaro's writings and then through some others, God began to really kind of shake me up and realize that actually that Sabbath means doing nothing related to work for a 24-hour time period. That's what it means. And God said that it was a unit of time that was holy. Remember, he said, remember the Sabbath today? Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Holy means to have it set apart, you know, for him. And Sabbath provides us a rhythm whereby we can recalibrate and reorient our life around God. Did you catch that? This, the rhythm of Sabbath provides us a day where we can recalibrate and reorient our life around God. And if we'll take it seriously, we can have some immense benefits that come to us from it. Conversely, it's at our peril that we neglect a regular time where we stop for the purpose of enjoying God and focusing on Him and letting Him refresh and renew us. Why do I know that that's true? Because I'm old enough to have met brothers and sisters in Christ who have just gone at, at one pace. They've gone at a fourth or fifth or sixth gear, if they could find a sixth gear. Um, and that's what they've gone at. And, and some of my brothers and sisters in Christ who were my friends 10, 15 years ago, they're not around today. They're either dead or maybe they're not walking with God today. I had a pastor friend of mine in Auckland just two years ago. He was a young guy. He was 35 years old. He was two years into pastoring. He had a catastrophic burnout. Catastrophic meaning he went to his home and he was bedridden every day, every week, every month for an entire year. And we got on Skype and he could only have someone come into his room for 15 minutes a day because a 15-minute visit from someone just sapped his energy. I have another pastor friend of mine. He also had a catastrophic burnout where he was out for a year and then took him a second year to recover. In fact, still to this day, this friend of mine, uh, he walks with a limp as a result of that catastrophic burnout that he experienced. Now, these are sad and hard stories. But in both of those cases, they were guys that just went constantly at one pace. And they didn't respect their need to have a regular time, a rhythm in their life, just to stop and do nothing, nothing at all, 
but just to rest and focus on God and to do something that's replenishing and renewing for them. And so I find that in my own life and in our lives, none of us are exempt from this injunction and invitation to have a rhythm and pattern in our life where we focus on stopping from our work. Now, this Exodus 20 thing we read happens where God has rescued his people and they've been in slavery for how many years? How many years? Yeah, 400 years. So 400 years, the Israelites have been forced to work as slaves. And guess what that means? That means they didn't have a day off. That means they constantly had to work with no days off for 400 years. So they had these ingrained habits of work. In fact, the Israelites, they were, they were machines, right, for the Egyptians. They were like doing machines. That's what they were in terms of being productive. And so when God suddenly tries to change that pattern and says, hey, my people, I want you to have one day where you stop from your work. Do you think that was easy for them to do that? It was not easy for them to do that, folks. They'd had 400 years of a pattern. And in fact, they found it very difficult uh, to make that change. They did. Um, but God instituted that because God knew that they needed a way to stay close to him to deliberately stop in order to focus on him and on family and on resting. And here's why. Because God worked and we are to work. God rested and we are to rest. Notice, like I said, after completing his work of creation of the heavens and the earth, God rested on the seventh day. And uh, God had that same I desire for the Israelites that when he, he liberated them and took them out into, the, into the, the desert, the wilderness, part of his covenant with them was that they would be like him, and part of that was them stopping intentionally from their work so they could enjoy God, they could enjoy one another. The scripture talks about having feasts and good food um, on the Sabbath. It was originally intended just to be a, a delightful day uh, to experience God and, and his life. And for us who live today with this enormous pressure of the culture that pushes on us, um, it's hard for us because God has called us out to be different to the everyday world that we're a part of. And that's what this Sabbath thing is a challenge. And I found it a challenge for me, and you probably will find it a challenge for you because it, the world wants to squeeze us into its mold, particularly around this thing of being busy, and being addicted to busyness and filling our life up with all kinds of stuff. Sometimes good things, but good things can be the enemy of the what? Of the best, like my dad used to say. And that's kind of what the Sabbath is about. It says, actually, God's the best. And if I can be purposeful and have nothing to do in my schedule, but just to focus on him and have this time for him to replenish and renew me, it's going to be of immense benefit. Is that right? Yeah. Now, this thing of the Sabbath, it was a hallmark of the Jews throughout their history. It was this one act, perhaps more than any other, that kept them from the pressures of powerful cultures that constantly were invading Israel and trying to assimilate Israel into their empire. Is that right? Yeah. If, when, when Israel kept the Sabbath, it reminded them of who they were and who God was and what their purpose was and what, what their identity was. And it kept them that way for centuries and centuries. 
And it's certainly for us who live in the 21st century. Sabbath, when lived, it's our means as the people of God to bear witness to the way we understand life. It's rhythms, it's gifts, it's meaning, and it's ultimate purpose in God. When we observe the Sabbath, this is what we say. God is at the center and source of our lives. He is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our existence. We trust him to provide and care for us. Is that right? Yeah, we do. And so I want to look at um, some ways that you, you can do this in your practical life. So how can you make the Sabbath real in your life? All right, number one, you can stop. Is that going to be there? Oh, we'll skip Thomas Merton. You can stop. It's very simple, but Sabbath is first and foremost about stopping. And it's built into this meaning of this word sabbat. All right? And yet most of us, we can't stop until we're finished, till I'm finished with the whatever I've got to do, you guys. I have my big, long to-do lists, and I do. I find it hard to stop. But we, we need to finish our emails and our Facebook messages and all the different tasks and jobs that we have, paying the bills, cleaning the house, running around with the kids, and on and on and on, all the stuff that fills our lives. There's always one more goal to be reached before we can stop. But on the Sabbath... Sabbath is about embracing my limits. Sabbath is acknowledging that God is God and what? I'm not. Sabbath is about acknowledging that I'm not indispensable. Sabbath is about acknowledging that I need to trust and depend on God instead of me having to make everything happen. Sabbath is about me remembering that I'm God's creature and the world will continue just fine if I stop. And God will continue just fine if I stop. In fact, when I took a, a little mini sabbatical a couple of years ago with my wife Karen, we decided we would try something quite different. And that is we would visit a Trappist monastery uh, in Oregon where we were on sabbatical. And maybe you probably heard Ross or others talk about that. Uh, the Trappists are an order of Cistercian monks. That might sound even really weird to you, but um, they're kind of cool monks. And um, the Trappists operate here in New Zealand. They have a, a monastery down in Daniver called Kopua. Has anybody been there? No hands. I thought there would be at least one hand that would have gone up. Well, Kopua is a monastery that you can go to. Any of you here in this room, the Trappist monks, they allow guests to come. And you can stay in the guest part of their monastery. And they'll let you join in their rhythm of their Benedictine prayer pattern which is seven times of praying throughout the day. It starts very early in the morning, like quarter past three in the morning, or maybe four o'clock in the morning, depending on what monastery you go to. Well, we'd heard about this, because um, in fact, Karen and I had met Pete and Jerry Scazzaro, and um, we were very interested in their work, and they challenged us to go stay in a monastery. So we did in Oregon. We stayed in this Trappist monastery. It was, right, it was January, it was winter, it was freezing cold. It was like, what was wrong with our brains? Um, why did we go when there was ice on the ground? But anyways, that's what we did. And uh, we stayed in this monastery, and we did a, a whole week there. And they had one building that was devoted to silence. They had another building where they would kind of chant their prayers. And they had a building where they would eat. The guests could eat their meals. The monks would eat meals in their own building. But what was really cool with these monks is that they would let us just kind of join in any, time of, any part of their pattern that we wanted to. So if you could get up early enough in the morning, you could meet them at like 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, go into their silent building and just sit in silence 
and meditate and experience silence, and that's going to be coming up in this series. Or you could then join them in their kind of chapel thing as they chant some prayers out. They would chant the scriptures, the psalms, um, all parts of the Bible they would chant and, and do some singing. And then they would have other prayer times throughout the day. And you guys, um, sitting silent for like 30 minutes, what do you think that experience was like? At 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, do you think that was a delightful experience? Um, I, don't, I don't think it was. And um, yeah, it was, well, what was that? Real cold. Yes, it was winter. It was a fascinating experience. I found the first three days, which was mostly in silence, it was just a shock. Hey, it was a shock. And uh, everything within me was screaming just to get out of that place uh, because uh, I'd, all I heard was all this inner noise inside of me that just constantly just bubbled up and bubbled up and bubbled up. And the monks said to us, please don't quit. Push, push past it when you, when you get into the third day or into the fourth day. I mean, it's going to take four days. Um, okay. Um, but it, it did. And when, when we pushed past the third day, this beautiful change happened inside. Beautiful change happened as a result of stopping and listening to God. And suddenly, started to hear God's voice in new ways they hadn't really experienced before. In fact, the rest of that week became some of the sweetest experiences that we had, that Karen and I have had. And if you want to know more about it, come ask me. Um, but like I said, you can go down to Denver and visit Kopu. You can look it up on the internet. You can book in uh, for a few days or for a whole week. If it sounds crazy to you, well, just try it. Try, try it sometime. You might be pleasantly surprised. You might experience silence, solitude. You might really hear from God. He might change your life. All right, well, number two pattern you can do is a pattern of delight. Delight. Um, this is a, a component of biblical Sabbath that revolves around delighting in what we've been given. It's this idea that in Genesis 1, verse 31, God said he looked at all he had made, and it was what? It was very good. God delighted in what he had made. So part of a biblical Sabbath, when we stop, is delighting in what God has made, what God has put into our life. We delight in that. We take time to stop, and we smell the roses. Like tonight, we had a beautiful pink sunset. Who noticed that? Anybody notice that beautiful pink sunset? Yeah, that's part of Sabbath. It's just stopping and saying, God, that's such a beautiful sunset. I just love your handiwork in that sunrise or that sunset. That's part of delighting in God. He calls us to enjoy the creation, enjoy the gifts that, that he's given us. All right, number three is rest. And that's part of this word, sabbat, that God calls us to rest. He rested from his work, and we're to do the same. Uh, what, what we do to replace all that we're stopping during our Sabbath time, the answer is simple. Whatever delights and replenishes you. You got that? So when you rest, what are you going to do when you rest? Well, you do what replenishes you, what delights you. And so I found for me, like in my work as a pastor, because we work on Sundays, that when I have a break day, a Sabbath day, I don't do any work. I don't use my laptop in terms of email. Uh, I try not to use my phone for work-related things. But I, I'm actually intentional about doing things that replenish and renew me. My wife Karen helps me uh, in terms of kind of figuring that out. It's been a journey over time. But for you, same thing. Figure out what is it that really replenishes and renew you. Um, 
Is it, is it jogging? Is it walking? Is it reading? Is it going for a movie? Uh, going out for dinner? Going to an art gallery? Whatever it might be. I don't know. Whatever it is that replenishes and renews you, make sure that you do that. And part of that, by the way, is healthy play. Um, it's healthy play is part of it. Uh, the word chosen by the Greek fathers um, for the perfect mutual indwelling of the Trinity. Anybody know what that is? We've got some theologians here. This word perichoresis. It's a big fancy Greek word. It literally means dancing around this beautiful word, this perfect indwelling of the, of the Trinity. Creation and life are, in a sense, God's gift of playground to us. Whether it be through sport or dance or games, looking at old family photographs, visiting museums, nurturing our sense of pure fun in God is all part of the Sabbath. Got that? And then finally, number four, to contemplate. It's a final quality of the biblical Sabbath. It's take, you take time to contemplate who? God himself. Because the Sabbath is what? It's holy to the Lord. It's an invitation for us to, to dwell on him and to experience his presence and to invite his presence. And throughout Jewish and Christian history, uh, Sabbath has always included worship with God's people, right? Hearing the scriptures, sharing with other Christians, um, sharing meals, food, um, even having silence. Uh, just whatever we do that helps us to really reflect on God's glory, his majesty, his character, his, his beauty. You know, one of the, here's one of the final things we'll say about Sabbath. It's so important. Our short earthly lives are put in perspective as we look forward to the day when God's kingdom is going to come in all of its fullness. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah. We, Sabbath helps us to look forward to that day when God's kingdom is going to come in all of its fullness. And we're going to enter into this eternal Sabbath feast of God's presence. And we're going to taste his splendor, his greatness, his beauty, his excellence, his glory. And Sabbath reminds us of that because we stop and we're intentional to enjoy God on that day. All right, what we're going to do now, um, you guys are looking very sleepy and tired, so I'm going to have you stand up where you are. Uh, I used to be in the business world, and they'd have you stand up when you're looking sleepy like you guys are. So just stand up and, uh, and just maybe lift your arms up and stretch. There you go. Get that blood flowing. There you go. I like it. I like it. I like it. Get that blood flowing. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, have a seat down. Because what we're going to do, um, coming up in a few weeks, we're going to have this discipline of silence. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to have you just sit quietly, and we're going to reflect on some questions, on those questions. So I'd like you to reflect on what does this mean for you? As you think about those questions, the microphone, but as you think about those questions, I want to invite you to do something with those responses that you've come up with. Maybe God's spoken to you that you need to take a practical step. I've got some handouts here that I want to pass out. I'd like everybody to get one of these handouts. It's a very practical way for you to actually live out a Sabbath day, a 24-hour time period, particularly for those of us uh, in families. We can do it for a single person, but the way that uh, it's been written is to involve our friends and families kind of in the process to help us have a 24-hour time period that's truly replenishing and renewing. Now, remember, how did we start today? We started with the rope. And what's the rope about? It's about the rope that we have to get back to home. And God wants to be that home for us. He wants us to make his home in us. He wants to be our home. 
He wants us to be able to navigate this blizzard of the busyness of life that wants to envelop us and rob us and create this barrenness of a busy life that can happen. And Sabbath is an antidote to that barrenness of a busy life. If I'll respect it and you'll respect it.